Welcome to the Professional Technical Interviewee. I'm Taylor Dorsett. In my six-year career in technical recruiting, I realized that just about every company does technical interviews differently. Many very good senior engineers do not do well in technical interviews, despite being great developers. The only way to get better at interviewing is to practice. Many early career engineers don't really know what a technical interview is like until they're in their first one. Our goal here is to change that and shed some light on the technical interview. My guest today is Chris Taylor. He's an enterprise architect at Coyote Logistics. We talk about what he looks for during a technical interview, what an enterprise architect does, and how he makes interviewing more approachable on both sides of the table. Hope you enjoy. Uh, hello, Chris Taylor is my guest today on the on the show. Uh, he's currently an enterprise architect at Coyote Logistics. Um, for those who don't know, Coyote's a Pretty large shop that I think acquired by UPS a couple of years ago for a couple of billion yep. dollars, if I remember yeah. correctly. About five years uh, ago, last August. Yeah. Uh, and I guess for, for people who aren't aware of like the enterprise architect role, I, I know we've talked a little bit about what that looks like, but um, can you just give people a little bit of an intro on what your role currently looks like and kind of what that title looks like? Sure. Um, so as is broadly defined, it's putting the people, process, and tools in place to help the organization overall like achieve whatever their goal is, which I know sounds like pretty much everything, and it is. Um, my primary focus has been bringing Coyote to the cloud, um, which uh, is the – we do a lot of, obviously, on-prem stuff, um, but we're looking to expand – or we have been expanding tremendously uh, over the past year and a half to um, take advantage of more – um, cloud-based options and stuff like that, which is something normally we haven't done. Um, we have, as you said, we are a pretty large organization. I want to say a few hundred developers. I can't remember how many total. Um, working on a number of different projects. Um, and there's a lot of, let's say, chefs in the kitchen and stuff like that. So we like, one of my roles is just to make sure that everybody's always talking to each other. Uh, and kind of like, you know, we're not all doing different things as well as, uh, looking for op- opportunities where it's like two people are doing something similar. It's like, Hey, how about you guys put this two, these two together and then see what comes out of it. Um, so yeah, it can be anything from that from process to just uh, uh, having well back when we used to be able to go over and walk to somebody else's desk um, to saying, Hey, let's go over and here and talk to Tommy or something like that. Um, little things like that. Yeah. I mean, I know even in smaller organizations, how difficult that can be at times, right? You have people pointed at the same thing um, without necessarily realizing it. Or I think what you're even touching on is, can someone gain some benefit from talking to this other individual because it's in the same realm, right? It just makes sense for them to speak. So uh, that's gets, I think, increasingly difficult as in scale, right? Yeah, it almost becomes like a full-time consultant within inside the organization itself without the worry of being getting fired or blamed for everything. So there's that benefit to it. Um, it's it's a great role. I love, I love what I do, uh, honestly. It's probably one of the coolest jobs I've ever had um, because it's just like, hey, I think I want to work on this and make this better. And they're like, go for it. And then just do it. So. Yeah, I think sometimes – when companies do get to a certain scale, there is a little bit more flexibility to do that as well, right? I think a lot of smaller shops, sometimes 
you know, there's the list of here's the the things we have to get done. And then here's the backlog, right? And that backlog sometimes could rarely get touched um, if ever. Right. Uh, and I think sometimes as things grow, maybe that backlog gets even bigger, but there's someone like yourself who might have some, uh, maybe a, some more dedicated time to go, Hey, this is something that actually should be improved. Right. Versus right. something that maybe someday could get done if, people get around to it right yeah and it's kind of going back and just reminding people like hey i know we had things were this way back five years ago when we made this decision this way but let's just relook at it again and something like that um and so yeah it's really just about getting people to uh think about ideas um it's i do a lot of like uh point of proof of concept work um one of the things i promised when i came on is i will never deliver i'll never architect a solution that i have not tested in some way of my own to see if it even works um i stand true to that just because uh i still like to know how things work because if i recommend something i want to know if it breaks i kind of still feel responsible in the end um so yeah it's it um it could be anything from working with software architects like hey here's some of the frameworks that that are coming out from various places or here's some of the new azure offerings that are out this week that we could take advantage of that uh, especially with our business and how much things have changed in the past year. Um, we've, we've learned that we have to be very adaptive or I, as much as I hate this word, excuse, sorry, I've got a puppy. Well, she's not up here. Up here. Sorry. Um, as much as uh, uh, we try to be, I, I don't like the word agile, uh, but we pretty much have to be. Um, and so business needs to change constantly. What was a good idea, maybe even six months ago or a year ago, isn't necessarily going to be a good idea now, or there could be new technologies or um, even other things that we've created or learned along the way that uh, we have to adjust to. So I guess another part of my role is, is helping us to be able to pivot quickly uh, and still maintain control, um, which is insanely challenging, especially with uh, the large organizations, the number of teams that we have and just uh, the amount of communication that happens. Sure. Do do you have a team now, or is, or is it primarily you building those POCs and then maybe handing them off to to teams? Um, so I work within a, a, a smaller team within our infrastructure group that um, has similar roles to myself. Um, but I don't. Uh, my initial role was to create a team, uh, which basically I did, and that became its own. It got its own management and stuff like that, and I just kind of let that go now. Uh, and so that's our cloud team and. Um, we formed that after kind of doing some center of excellence stuff and then finally decided, all right, well, here we need to form a team to do exactly this. And so over about a year, I helped structure that and put the people in place and so on uh, with along with a number of other people too. Um, but that's kind of where my role ends there is I still kind of oversee it a little bit and provide guidance, but um, I don't make, I don't make any like, let's say managerial decisions for them, if that makes sense, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Great. And, and so you're still, um, you know, coding day to day very regularly. Um, yes, I find it is kind of necessary in some ways. One, I just like to keep my skills sharp. Um, and then two, I'm lazy. So, uh, I find new ways to basically uh, automate my job in certain ways. So if I can code it, I will. Sure. I hear you. I mean, what's, what's the saying is don't find the, or find a developer who's lazy and they'll get more done, right? Than the maybe the people who are super motivated all the time. Uh, yeah, I want less work. I want, you know, what I mean, it's at that point where it's like, hey, the cool framework stuff. I love learning. 
I, I love the, you know, the past, let's say 25 years of, of becoming a, a developer. Um, but most of the time where I'm like, you know what, I did this because I want to make life easier for myself. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I, I always like having people on, um, who are still actually coding, right? Cause a lot of people are, are managers or head of engineering or CTO or something like that, where it, you know, they have had a career in software development, um, but now they're really far further away from the code. So I, um, I think having people who have, are actually still doing it is always helpful. I mean, getting that perspective. Um, I know you've been with Coyote for a little while, but have you done technical interviews um, lately, you know, internally at Coyote? Um, not necessarily, well, some, a little bit, but uh, uh, there hasn't been that many, like my role doesn't really get to interview people as much as I wish I got to, um, just because I have fun with it. Um, but at previous organizations and stuff like that, especially when I was at um, the bank, um, I did, I don't know how many hundreds of interviews while I was there. Um, and then through other times with consulting and so on. Um, but yeah, still, I, uh, I still do them and stuff like that. Just like I said, I don't do them as much. I do went through a ton of them, you know, about a year and a half ago while going through, uh, uh the whole job change process. Did you, do you enjoy, uh, technical interviews or you're going through that process? It depends which ones. Um, I think coding tests are worthless to be honest with you. There's sometimes it's worth Like it's useful and other times it's not. Do you mean take homes or do you mean live like coding? Um, take homes specifically, um, or just like having someone memorize, like having like saying, okay, you can't use Google or something like that um, to look up what a, a class is. I mean, if you look at let's say just the .NET framework for example, and it depends which one you're talking about as well. You know, I mean, thousands of namespaces and classes and stuff like that, and to remember every one of those uh, is pretty much impossible. Um, but so like the take home tests and stuff like that, I, eh, it's fine. Uh, but those are easy enough that, I mean, it's kind of like college is easy enough to cheat on those. Um, I like the kind of pseudo tests, like just kind of do some pseudo code. Just show, show me how you think. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. care about syntax being perfect or anything like that because unless, you know, unless you're using COBOL, uh, every compiler is going to tell you whether or not that you have an error with it or something like that. So yeah. Uh, um, rely on IntelliSense. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great. And when you're building a team and when you're interviewing for your team, do you, I guess, what are you typically um, evaluating for in those technicals? Right. Cause like you said, it, some of those tests can be, you can find your way around um, kind of what you need to know for those tests. Right. And I think that's why a lot of people fall back to this, like, rote memorization type of thing because then they go well if someone knows this on the spot then they probably can do the job right versus mm -hmm. um just saying no i it sounds like they know what they're doing right right um i'm trying to think how to answer that um say your question one time i'm sorry I, yeah I what do you what are you typically evaluating for oh okay so technicals what I actually look for is um, I want you to tell me about your failures or how something annoys you. Um, like when somebody's talking about like, Oh, Hey, this class didn't implement this until version 2.0 or something, but we were still at 1.1 and somebody can tell me a story about that. That tells me kind of how in depth they went because in all likelihood, I've probably gone down similar paths 
where you know you're traversing through Google and then Stack Overflow and then maybe an SDN forum or and finally just break down and ask somebody um, next to you and you're like, hey, I cannot figure this out. Um, if they can tell me that story, that's the kind of thing I want to know. My biggest thing I look for is how somebody learns and how they solve problems. Um, and it's like, again, I guess it comes down to an attitude. Um, I can teach anybody to code. Uh, I can't teach you to think. Um, and that's really what it's about. Because languages, I mean, I've coded, I don't know how many languages over the years. Uh, I'm partial to, you know, C Sharp and .NET. 20 years ago, I would have said VB. Um, so how old I am. Um, and now people are like, oh, well, it's all about Go or Ruby or Scala or who, whatever else. Python, I think, is a popular one, too. Um, in the end, they all kind of do the same thing. Some of them have mm -hmm. different syntactical sugar that makes them nice or like the base libraries that they exist of um, is more robust than what it can talk to and stuff like that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's what you think you can do with it and then how you understand how things move like in depth through a stack. Um, and I'm not talking just about like a soft, like the, the, the actual stack of your application, but when you think about like um, the OSI model and, and how do you go down from the application layer to the physical layer uh, of, of your, your system, um, somebody can understand that, maybe not even the in full detail, but if they can kind of understand what's going on there, that's the type of like attitude I look for, even if they're not perfect in the language. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have a standardized system that you use or does it change like when you're doing those interviews or when you're asking those questions or does it change kind of depending on the role and the person? Um, it changes a bit on depending on the role and the person, but I guess my approach is pretty similar. Um, it, that it's, I, I don't like it. I, mean, I like to make it very like kind of cooperative uh, and very um, open. I want people to relax and tell me a story. And like I said, I don't want it to be just, here's an answer I'm expecting to hear. I want to hear something about coming from you. Um, so you kind of have to read the person as well to say, hey, get their body language and so on to say like, okay, what type of questions can I ask them? And it's kind of psychological, I admit. Um, but that's, everyone's a little bit different. And that's what I want to do is try to, try to figure out what it is. It could be like trying to um, relax the mood a little bit with like just, uh, um, you know, like small talk about, let's say, I could be anything from sports to um, politics, I guess, is probably not the best to go with anymore um, uh, or anything like that. Just kind of get a vibe of what they kind of do. Um, or I'll look at, let's say, their LinkedIn profile or, or see what their hobbies are just to see, the, like, kind of, like, break the ice. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, kind of figure out what I want to ask to say, all right, well, tell me about this and then try to certain, like, I don't want to be on guard, if that makes sense. I want to be honest with me not be prepared to what they want to say. Yeah. I wanted to think then about what I say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think in all my time in recruiting, I realized pretty early on that you almost have to do a certain amount of um, like matching the person, like kind of the energy that they're coming in with and just kind of what they're, they're putting off. Otherwise, like if you're at a 10 and they're coming in at a four, <laughs> that can be a really rough conversation. I think my goal, every interview that I ever did was one to treat it like a conversation and two, make sure that both of us leave this conversation feeling good about it rather than like, uh, screw that person, right? Or screw yeah. that interview. Yeah. I think I've been on a couple of those. Where I came yeah. in, I was like, let's do this. And they're like, we're not moving that fast. I'm like, oh, <laughs> see you guys later. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, how do you think you, you know, you said a year and a half ago or so you went through a lot of interviews. How do you think you do in technical interviews? Um, I'll be, I mean, I'll try to be humble, but, um, I usually do really well in tech interviews. Um, cause I kind of use it's the reverse where I, I read, uh, the people that are asking in the room what they want to do. And I'll be, I'll admit at times and I tell people this, I'm like, I'm kind of manipulative in that way is that I'll lead a conversation sure. to where I want it to go sometimes. Um, or what I want to show off. Um, it just depends on, again, the, the audience that I have. Uh, so overall, though, like based on the number of interviews I did over the past few years, my tech interviews, I did, um, I passed every one of those. The only one I didn't was Facebook. And that was, <laughs> and that was because I did it in the middle of a client site, not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I kept having to like stop and be like, oh, what is the coding again? Um, I made it to like second round there, but then, yeah, that was the only company I didn't tech out at. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that was a, a, I mean, it sounds like you feel comfortable in those situations, right? And do you think that comes from doing lots of interviews or just thinking of them differently? Or do, what do you think that that stems from? Cause I think a lot of people are the opposite, right? They, they feel like they're on the spot. There's a panel of people or one person who's just, you know, trying to get something from them that they may or may not have. Right. And I, I think I'm of the same mindset of you where like, how can we make this more of a conversation and kind of lead it in the ways that are beneficial to, to yourself, right. Versus letting them ask you yes or no questions. That doesn't give you a lot of <laughs> room to show off your skills. Yeah. Um, maybe it's cause I don't know. Um, Part of it, I guess, is just being comfortable with what so like all aspects of software and, and kind of the IT world and uh, as I've been across it over the years. Um, that one of the biggest things I've learned, uh, especially let's say from let's say we often divide things up into like infrastructure and software development, and then there's this gap of assumption that um, we speak two different languages on there. I mean, it's both English and stuff like that, but the words mean different things. And by saying it on the software side and saying to an infrastructure person may mean one thing completely different than what you intended. Um, so the, uh, I guess the, it comes down to like just being comfortable with both sides is that a lot of people are uncomfortable or they're afraid they're going to say the one thing and someone's looking to trap them to say, Hey, no, that's not right. And because there's so many other people that are uh, available for hire or whatever. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of question their skills at times. Um, I think it's common among developers, especially, especially good ones. They question how good they really are. Um, and those that don't question how good they are necessarily um, get a little bit too confident. Sure. Um, yeah. So I guess it's just part of it is just being comfortable with what, like, Hey, I, I can back up what I know because I've kind of been through it. Um, and I, I love debate. So I guess in that way, I look forward to it in some ways and like, bring it on. Um, but yeah, it's also, the, I think what people have to remember is that when you're being hired is like, no one's looking at it for, especially in FTE, that's not a short-term decision. I mean, mm -hmm. a developer now, let's say in the Chicagoland area for say mid-level is a hundred to 120,000, right? Um, in reality, that is 175,000 to $200,000 of actual cash that the company has to put out yeah. um, over a period of a year. That's a lot of money. Uh, I don't care who you are, that, that you have to come up with a way to pay for that as well. And that you also expect that to last for a period of time, um, much longer than a year, you know, that it's going to turn into a 400,000 to $600,000 investment in three years. 
Um, and so each time you have someone there longer that they're there, you know, they have that knowledge and you have this personal investment in them. Uh, there's less likelihood if you're going to be let go. And so people are looking like personally for me, when I'm looking for somebody, I look for somebody who wants to be there for a good three, four five years, something like that. Um, I get people switch jobs to get, I mean, I've done it and stuff like that. Um, but like, I, I think people, you got to realize that no one's necessarily looking for, or not you, but other people have to realize that, Hey, if you're in that seat, there's a reason you're there. And that's because they're looking for you to be there for a while. Otherwise we just hire consultants. Yeah. I, I think it's really, I think part of the problem comes from people thinking I know how to do this, but what if I don't know how to do what they're looking for? Right. And what you touched on earlier was it's the problem solving, right? You're not going to, it's pretty rare. You're going to come in with exactly that knowledge and exactly that, um, area of software development and even that area of business, right? Like, you know, doing that same type of work for a logistics company versus a bank is probably going to be pretty different, right? And kind of what totally, you really yeah. need to know. Um, so I think people doubt themselves because they're like, well, I know how to do this, but can I figure out this other thing, right? But then you realize that there's not that much difference, Yeah, you know, and that what somebody's, the reason you're there is because like, actually that banking experience may be helpful in using us here in the logistics industry or something or vice versa. Um, that, and there's also like, I'll look at things on a resume that some people put as like a tiny thing. And I'm like, uh, you should highlight that. That's incredibly powerful skill um, that we could use. Um, yeah. And that the opportunity is um, we expect people to are not machines are not robots, you know, um, that, like you said, is like just because there's this one thing of what we do, our expectation of what we're going to be is it, it, something totally different. And what you may be able to provide based on your own background, history, you know, not just professional, but your personal background too. Um, it, that goes back to how you solve problems. Um, that can provide a lot of value as well. And, you know, how you work with people, et cetera. Because that's really what it's about. Yeah, I, I think a common trend that I, I've heard over the years from engineering leaders is, you know, that the longer they were in software engineering, they realized less of the problems were code problems and more of them were people problems. Right. Yes. And especially as things grow, you realize you, you can usually figure out the code. Sometimes the people are, are the really difficult part to figure out. Right. Yeah. And you get process in there and stuff like, like people in process that just mm -hmm. don't mix. And that's what, like I used to say is like, I think writing software is actually 5% of building a product. 95% of it's trying to get out the door, uh, just approvals and stuff like that, because you realize that like one code change, but then you know, the users and how everybody uses things, um, you realize how complex this is as I'm sure you've, as you've started to enter this, uh, this area, um, it, what we learn in kind of like the, the intro level stuff is far different than once you get a real user base using it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do, you, do you have a system that you use to break down technical questions? Say you're in a situation where you're, you know, you're in a technical and someone says, great, here's the problem. And, you know, your first thought is, oh, I haven't done a problem like this before, or the solution isn't immediately available to you, right? Like it's something, you know, you're going to have to decompose to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I guess the, yes, there is. And what I try to do is basically, um, it goes back to similar interview tactics too, where it's like, I try to find something relatable that we both know. Um, as you know, from part of my pages that like, I do a lot of woodworking and, and home improvement type stuff. So I've found that to be kind of a good conduit to as discussion for people to like say, Oh, it's kind of like this when, you know, um, 
you have a traveler wire running from two electrical outlets or something. That means nothing right now, I admit. But it, it could mean somebody else is familiar with it. We could make that comparison. Like, oh, it's it. they can then kind of get that visual in their head of what it is. So I guess the, the only system I do is just try to find something that's relatable. And as a result, try to learn like about as much as I can about different people, like backgrounds, hobbies, um, motivations, anything it is, you know, just something that they, that they're familiar with that I can relate to. That's, I guess the, the only system that I have, I wish there was like a one, two, three or something like that. Um, it's not, I just kind of go by, you know, wing it and hope for the best. Yeah. Okay. And then for, for like, say a whiteboarding question in particular too, I mean, is it's the same idea as trying to figure out, you know, what, what is our kind of shared information about this? Um, yeah, exactly. It just draw, I mean, I'm not cared about, like, let's see if I understand your question correctly. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. Um, in a situation where, you know, someone's giving you a whiteboarding question and you think, oh, I, I don't know how to approach this, right. Or, or something that, you know, you're going to have to really break down. I mean, do you have a, is it the same idea you kind of are mm -hmm. trying to connect with the individual first and then work your way through the problem? Or do you have a Correct. step where you go, step one, I'm doing X, right? Step two, I'm no, doing it, this. It comes down to just, again, reading that. If I don't know exactly what they're asking, I'll, I'll find ways to say like, okay, are you, you know, are you considering it to be something like this, you know, trying to relate it to be a comparison? Cause I know that some people in certain interview situations will give you as little information as possible because they want you to figure that out or they want you to question it. I'm guilty of that too. Um, but it, I've learned is like the best thing to do is just ask like, Hey, is this, is this what you mean? And more often than not, even when people are trying to trick you, uh, they want you to ask the question to get clarification because in truth, that's what really matters is, is that communication being willing to ask questions before things go wrong. Yeah. And I think the the thing that I always try to press people to keep in their minds when they're interviewing is that the, the interviewer wants the interview to go well, right? Like if you can yeah. be the solution to their problem, which is their problem is they have to do a ton of interviews to hire someone for their team. Right. And if you're the solution to that problem, perfect. You're both happy. Right. So they want you to do well. And obviously they're not going to tell you here's the answer. Um, but very likely they'll do everything they can to make sure that you're not hitting any roadblocks, right? Or at least start oh, totally. headed in the right direction. Yeah, because you're exactly right. Is it, again, is an exhausting process on both ends because for every one interview that they've done with us, we've done 10 others with other people. Yeah. And I, after an hour, each one of those, and some of those are just insanely disappointing and some are exciting and you're like, oh, I want this person. And they're like, oh, they're going to take, they've got two other offers. You're like, mm -hmm. of course, then you're almost bitter. Um, so yeah, it's, we don't want to go through, it's, co it's costing us time and money from multiple perspectives. Um, one, my time to be there, anybody else is part of the interview process that I'm not being productive doing something else. Plus we obviously have a plan that we're trying to keep up on. Um, it, so you're absolutely right. That, um, I will pro I'll be like, no, no, here, let me, what if it's this, let me give you this much more information, this much more information. I'm like, please God, just code this for me now. Uh, you're hired. I swear to just say this one word, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you've made it that far, then there's, there's a good reason you're there. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like communication is, is one of the big, um, things to, to keep in mind. I mean, any other tips, uh, for, for engineers who are going through technical interviews? Um, be honest. Um, like we'll know if you're BSing us, especially like someone's kind of 
done it. Um, mm -hmm. Like just, if you don't know something, for example, like uh, a lot of people like to talk about like the big thing right now is Kubernetes and it's like, Oh, they have Kubernetes experience. I'm like, all right, tell me these things. I'm like, do you really have Kubernetes experience? And cause the real answer is, is uh, no, not a lot of people do. I admit when I went through my interviews, they asked me, I'm like, I set one up and I followed instructions and that's as far as I went. And they're like, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. And if that's all it's been, that's fine. Um, Cause that at least gives me a starting point for questions. Um, but if you say like you've you know managed five clusters or something like that, and you managed, you know, 10,000 microservices, I'm going to ask you some pretty detailed questions on it to see if you're, if you're talking about it. Um, I'm trying to think what else, if there's certain things like, be, show your like be proud of what you've done in the past even if it's mm -hmm. um not the best you know it, it, that's okay to say that i do that all the time um i think none of my work is necessarily uh, that great um but still show it off to, to people because it's like that's your best asset is saying you know a lot of people can talk but if you can show something you know mm -hmm. it's like oh here's a website i worked on that does this this and this hey perfect um, and it can be just simple things like, Hey, I worked on this thing. Um, and I built it or even my free time, um, take advantage of reading up on certain tech blogs. Um, books are kind of useless just to come out. Like stuff changes way too fast. Sure. Um, I know you, for example, have contributed to uh, various GitHub projects and stuff like that on the open source scene. Um, yeah, that's sometimes more challenging to do. Um, just because like it, a lot of times PRs don't get picked up um, or something else gets done with it. But, um, uh, and it just takes a fair amount of time to do as well. Um, but yeah, there's other ways to also, if you want to make money, like I, when I was uh, younger, I worked with this guy, what was it called? Uh, now it's called vworker.com. Um, but basically it's an escrow, but like, you took software projects and you got paid fractions of pennies and it's terrible, but um, sure is at least a little bit of money and then you got a rating system on as well so that you always had that to go back on to say hey here's something i got paid real money on by somebody mm -hmm. um wasn't you know was a lot of money no but it's people understand the difference of hiring someone privately versus being within an organization um yeah so that would be the that'd be the best thing is just and then just be yourself you know relax admit what you know admit we don't know say what you want to learn say what you like learn a little bit about the company and ask questions like, Hey, do we get to do this kind of thing? Do we do this? Um, and even if it's like, take the opportunity to ask like, Hey, I've always wanted to know, do you guys ever like, it could be something like you just have a question about. Um, most of us like to just talk shop too. And yeah. so uh, stuff like that, you know, because that's really what it is, is, is for me as a, most, uh, as a senior engineer, um, I want to see people that want to learn that have that attitude, that fortitude or whatever to, or the desire to say, I want to go a little bit beyond what I have the eight hours for, you know, I want to be better at this. Um, and that's, again, that's kind of the biggest thing that, I, that, um, I look for as, as a hiring manager. Yeah. I, you touched on um, some of the things that I, I would usually list, but would you say that advice is the same for early career individuals or someone who's trying to break into the field? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, as far as like honest and working, like working on those types of projects and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think having something to show. I, I think a lot of people who are early in their career are really hesitant to put in anything out if it's not perfect. And the reality is, it's never going to be perfect, right? So yeah. get something out there, and then 
even if you can get something that's pretty basic and then make small incremental change on that, and then you can show someone, look, I made this and here's the changes that, that I've made along the way. I think that's something that early in my career was actually really useful just to be able to say, look at this. And then as that thing grew, um, it, you know, it was kind of its own whole project. And that's what a lot of my interviews ended up being about, right. Where they would go, wow, can you tell us about this thing? And I was like, it's kind of my test baby project. Whenever I want to try something new, I throw it on that. Right. And then yeah. by that point, it had grown pretty large and was, you know, a little bit of a Frankenstein thing, but um, I think that stood out more than any, you know, any of individual tiny projects that I'd built over time, which can be impressive, but maybe less interesting to someone who's building a production level application. Right. Well, actually what you kind of described is that the, the classic legacy software situation where everything turns into basic Frankenstein's over time. Um, where, because we've added new frame, like if we look at like just what .NET has done, for example, uh, and any other languages as well, but um, over the past 10 years, um, what we had to do in 2010 versus what we do now to, to the same functionality is night and day different. But during those 10 years, we had to put some stop gaps in between or fix things and stuff like that. And maybe mm -hmm. we tried it one way and worked fine, but then we didn't want to do it for another part of the project. And so a lot of production systems that you see out there are, are legitimately just like Frankenstein's. Um, I believe the funny, the term now is called monolith. Um, but that's really what it is. It's just a bunch of different, app, you know, apps that are kind of strung together. Um, it, but yeah, so like seeing that it's actually realistic and like myself, I'll actually go look at your, uh, your source and see kind of how you've grown. Um, you'll reach one point where, uh, you're looking at code. I remember one time we're going to bank where I was looking, it's like, who wrote this crap? And I went through the history and I was like, Oh shit, it's me. And <laughs> Sorry, pirate my language. No, no. Um, uh, but yeah, where uh, you start, you're like, oh my god, did I actually write this? And then that's kind of a fun moment because it's both depressing. You're like, oh was, man, I thought I was so good back then, mm -hmm. and you're like, man, I really was not that good, um, and I caused more problems. So um, yeah, I guess that's the best thing is just like what you said is constantly here. You're improving it. You know, um, no one expects to be perfect. I just want to look at something. I just want to know that you went out and you took initiative beyond getting paid to say, I'm going to learn something new and become better at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So right there is like, that's, that's better than what like 70% of people do. Yeah. I think that that's something else to keep in mind too, is like, if you can be, if the average is here, right. And you're just one step above that, or just putting in one step more effort, that's going to show. Right. And that's what people want to hire. Like you're saying. Yeah. And it's not that hard. Like you yeah. think about like smartphones, like, I mean, you can just read articles all day on stuff and just like, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and, and find little times to, to learn that you don't necessarily code everything you see, but you can start to pick up patterns and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, there's tons of opportunity to do so. And it's not challenging just to want it. Yeah. You mentioned, um, like freelancing type website. I, I, I've heard a lot of people say, I think freelancing.com is a website now that people use, um, Upwork's another one where I recommend people, if you can get some type of professional work, right. If you're early career, like just get something, even if it's not the language you want to work in or the most interesting thing in the world and you're getting paid pennies on the dollar. Um, I think just having something production level versus, you know, the thing that you're building on your own is, is that's even one more stepping stone. Um, that's impressive right. for a lot of people because you're doing it for somebody else. Like it's like, you know, when you're doing something for yourself, you're willing to accept like certain level of, of imperfection. Mm -hmm. But if somebody else is paying for you, you know, 
they have they set a standard and stuff like that. And so if I see that that person rated you, let's say in, on VWorkers, like, um, like 10 stars uh, based on a you know $1,000 project, like, okay, you've earned somebody's trust enough that they paid you $1,000 of hard, their own hard-earned cash to build something to help them out and you achieve that and good enough that they were going to actually rate you for it. And that says a lot. Um, and, and that tells me like, again, about that, it, it's a huge talking point as well as, um, um, like you said, it's, it's just something to look at and say, Oh yeah, Hey, you did something. You did take it to that production level. You know, most people don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, before we move on to the, interview portion um do you have any personal technical interview horror stories you're willing to share you know either times when you were in an interview that went sideways or maybe the interviewer was interesting character um i'm trying to think i'm there's sure there's many um and there's been interviews where i realized that they didn't know what they were looking for and uh, I've had to stop and be like, do you guys, are you sure you're trying to hire me? Um, and they're basically, they had no idea what they're hiring for. Um, I'm trying to think of something like that that happened recently. I tell you, I as just, a recruiter, that's pretty common. I would say very often the first five interviews that someone, maybe five, first 15 interviews is someone figuring out what do I actually want? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, cause sometimes coming up to uh, the JDs is hard. Like I have to write those with people sometimes. And a lot of times like, well, what did this other person write? Or like, you're trying to find like, if there's an existing one out there already um, that you can see copy and paste from. Um, it, yeah, I don't know what else I can say about it that. Um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it. Like on, I know I've had them. Cause again, there's so many I could probably think of and I'm like, oh, are they appropriate? Um, yeah, I probably like you. There's probably been like tons of them out there that um, just uh, from the kinds of like, I have no idea what this person's here. There's times I've been at question why I'm there. Um, I'm trying to think what else. No, I wish I had something. Maybe you can uh, patch that in later. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, I mean, maybe that's helpful for people to know that not all of those memories will be burned into their brains forever. <laughs> no. So I think no, sometimes like that's the feeling. Too. Yeah. When you, when you feel bad about an interview, you're like, I'm the, I'll never get over that. Right. But usually good one. On. Um, there's one where the guy's interviewing the bank. He's still a good friend of mine today, but um, mm -hmm. we're like uh, my friend Scott and I were interviewing him and uh, we're like, Hey, can we get you something to drink? And he had his own little Tiva, uh, like, what they called? The Tiva cup or whatever it is. Um, yeah. at tourists. And uh, he's like, not whiskey. And uh, we're like, <laughs> 9 a.m. and he goes yeah and they're like all right sit down and it wasn't really whiskey or anything it's just the way he approached it he was just friendly and stuff like that and uh you know um that's probably one of the best the one i remember the most is just like i'd like somebody came in and had an attitude like a, a positive friendly attitude at nine in the morning on a tuesday yeah I, something i've seen more and more encouraged more and more um and i think different companies respond to it differently is kind of bringing yourself to an interview i think there's often a, a hesitation to kind of be yourself because you want to i don't know you don't want to offend someone you don't want to be the wrong thing right but i think if you feel comfortable doing that more often than not it's going to be a good thing um and you're actually 
you're being more truthful to the company, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to end up being yourself at work um, or most people are right. So you, right. it's probably a good thing to get that out there early on. And if you don't get the job, maybe that's not the right place for you. Right. Right. And there's so many places, there's a lot of places to work and stuff like that. You know, don't worry if you don't fit into one place that you thought you would yeah. have. Eh, trust me. There's cooler places. Yeah. Great. So. Uh, anything else to add before we move to the technical part? No. Oh, I'm just trying to get these dogs to leave me alone for right now. They're, they're very much dying for attention because they never get any. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app at The Professional Technical Interviewee. I want to thank my guest and my wonderful editor and producer, Dustin Bays. If you're interested in sharing your technical interview advice and being on the show, please reach out at dorsettaylordev.com at gmail.com. As a reminder, this interview has two parts. You can find the second half, which is the live technical interview on YouTube at the professional technical interviewee. The link will be in the show notes. Until next time, keep practicing.